Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. You can be seated. It's good to see everybody. My name is Chaplain Dan Brazel, one of the chaplains here at Schofield Community Chapel. We're, we're so glad uh, that, that you're here. Uh, I've been gone. My family and I, Cheryl, who's in the nursery this morning, we were gone on leave off island and glad to, glad to be back worshiping with you. And I'm definitely excited to share God's word with you. Most of you I recognize, but I see a couple of faces that I think I haven't met. So for those who are new uh, to the island or visiting family and those kinds of things, welcome. Uh, We're glad that we could be a home for you uh, to worship the Lord together. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. For the past, I think about five or six or so Sundays, we've been in this series in Philippians entitled, In All Things. Today, we're going to look at Philippians 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. And we're going to look at this subject. In all things, one thing. Pressing on. As we've been in Philippians for the past uh, several weeks, we, we know that Paul is writing from a prison to the Christians in Philippi, a very important city. When you read through the book of Acts, we pointed this out a few weeks ago. Some of the first converts out of this part of the world were were Lydia, and it talks about that in Acts. There was a jailer that was uh, converted as well. Uh, Some commonly refer to the city of Philippi as the birthplace of European Christianity. Philippi was an important city. Here's the question as we think through Philippians and myself, as I've preached through this series, as my teammates and fellow chaplains have preached through this, we keep looking at at this from this angle. How is it that Paul could possibly rejoice, which he uses the word in this tiny letter that I listened to on audio once again this week, and I think it took about eight minutes to play. It's not long. Over a dozen times, how can he possibly with a straight face, with all sincerity as we read God's word, how can he talk about joy in the midst of his deep suffering while not only in prison, but also as he is writing, he talks about in Philippians 1, and one of my brothers already preached on that, there were these rivals, there were these other people who were preaching against what he was doing. So not only is he suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to get the word out, He's in prison while he's doing it. And even while he's trying to do the right thing, he has these enemies who are, who are rivals and who are preaching against him. We also find out in Philippians, Paul alludes to the fact that he has a looming uh, death sentence hanging over his head. It's quite possible at this point. We know history tells us he, he did have a death sentence, but it is quite, at this point, he knows that that is awaiting him as well. How, how is it that he has joy? In in Philippians 2, we looked at this just a few weeks ago. In Philippians 2, what we refer to, some people refer to as the Christ hymn. You don't have to turn there, but Paul raises the question of of how how Jesus Christ himself, the eternal son of God, he, remember it said that he he was equal with God, but but he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. And even in the midst of his circumstances, even in the midst of the crucifixion and the death, Christ was obedient to God the Father. 
How is all of this possible? So what would cause Paul, what would cause the Lord Jesus Christ to endure such hardship and to endure such suffering and to do it willingly? What could possibly be worth all of that? I just wonder as we get started today, is there anybody here today who may be dealing with some circumstances and if, or have you ever asked the question, is it really all worth it? Is, is it really all worth uh, the struggle? That's what we're going to look at today when we look at this passage and this concept of in all things, one thing, pressing on. I want to read this passage with you. I invite you to just keep your Bibles open, keep your phone open, however you're looking at the text, and, and keep your finger there because that's where we'll be this morning. I'll begin in verse number 12 in Philippians chapter 3. Here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In all things, one thing, pressing on. In this passage, I want to show you three things that I think will help us think about how we press on as well in, in our lives and wherever you're at in circumstances. Remember, the, the theme of the book of Philippians is that in all things, we can remember the famous, the bumper sticker verse, right? Comes out of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Regardless of where we're at today, I think there's some truths we can take with us. Point number one is this. Point number one is make God's one thing your one thing. And I think, I put, I think the bulletin has the outline as well. Make God's one thing your one thing. Go back and look at verse 12. He says he presses on to make it my own. So here's the question. What is the it that he's talking about? To see what he's talking about, we have to go back to the passage that Chaplain Clark preached last week. So let's look at what it says, because we're going to draw from that, because we're talking about this follows that. Go back to verse eight, and I want to read it for you. I want you to see what the it is. What is the one thing? Here's what it is. Look at verse number eight. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Verse nine, watch this. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now stop right there for just a minute. I want us to understand, we've been saying this every week, but that our righteousness that the Bible talks about here, like Paul said, is not a righteousness that, that I've come up with. It's not like some people think a set of scales to where if I do more good than I do bad, I pinch my sister, that's bad, but I helped a little old lady across the street, that's good. Like if I do more good than bad, I'm gonna be okay. No, 
The Bible says what? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and every one of us desperately needs the forgiveness of God. Paul is, is saying what he always says throughout, the, throughout his letters, that the righteousness comes from God himself, and we get that righteousness counted to you and counted to me through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse number 10. The it that he talks about striving for and pressing on is this, verse number 10, that I may know him, that's Jesus, we just talked about Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrections and share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that I might, any means possible, I might attain the resurrection of the dead. When we talk about making God's one thing your one thing, what we're talking about is we're saying Knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection, to know the Lord Jesus Christ is the one thing. That's what Paul's saying in verse 12 when he says, I, I press on to make it my own. Knowing Christ and knowing Christ's resurrection, that is the it that he makes known. Does that, does that make sense? God wants our one thing to line up with his one thing. Notice it's not Remember earlier in Philippians, he makes that great statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Anybody remember that in, in, in Philippians? To live is Christ. Notice, notice Paul never says, to live is my career. So the army's great, but it's not really accurate to say to live is the army. I love my children. I hope you love your children. We're so glad your children are here. I, I, I hope we just have babies falling out the ceiling in our chapel. I, I love children, all age children. To live, though, is not my children. You notice that? It's not to live is my children. I, 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 love, I love my children. I love my wife. I hope you love your, your husband, your wife. To live is not your husband. That's not what Paul says. Now, are you saying don't love your kids? No, I, I want you to love your kids. I want you, to love, I want you to love the army. I want you to love your spouse. Probably not in exactly that order. We could change that up a little bit. So don't quote me on that part, but you'll figure all that out. But to live is Christ. And the thing that he says that he presses on for, to live is my hobbies. Have hobbies all you want, that's fine. But to live is Christ. Making God's one thing your one thing, and the one thing is to know Christ himself. The most important thing that you and I can do is to know Jesus Christ through faith and to live that faith out uh, throughout our lives. There's power in being a one thing person. Some, some people were so laser focused in their lives that even saying their initials, you, you know who they are and a little bit about what they were, what they were about. The man who had the famous speech, I have a dream. I can just say MLK and you know who I'm talking about. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. JFK, John F. Kennedy. There's power in being a one thing person. There's names I could throw out there. It'll make you think of that one thing that they're known for. LeBron James. Michael Jordan. Not trying to start an argument on who is the basketball goat. I'm just throwing names out there. Tom Brady. Elvis. A couple of names I threw out there, Cheryl said, people under 30 aren't going to know that name. Don't say that one. But I'm going to give it a shot anyway. Shakespeare. Mozart. Beethoven. Mother Teresa. 
Tiger Woods, Einstein. Thanks to the Battle of the Smithsonian and where we live in Hawaii, Amelia Earhart. Maybe some of you know, most of us know that name. Flight pilot. I name these people because here's the thing. One of the reasons that their names are known is because they had a laser focus on golf, on music, on basketball, on science. None of these people had what you would say a dissipated life in the tyranny of multiple agendas. None of these people struggled with finding out what their sort of main thing was going to be. You know why? Because there's power in being a one thing person. Do any of you have trouble with focus in life? I know nobody, probably nobody at our chapel. Okay, some people do. We've got some honest people. I was going to say maybe none of us do, but it's probably all those other Christians that have trouble with focus. But I do too. I, I struggle. I go, what is, you know, we live our lives in the army going, what's the priority? Well, there's 25 priorities, so I don't know which one's the one. You've got your own personal life. What's, what's the most important thing to do? I'm going to c- tell you that there's power in being a one-thing person. And, and if you and I will somehow wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact that our number one thing like some of these folks, golf, basketball, music, whatever the case may be. Our one thing is to know Christ and to live that faith out, that that will help us as we press on. So my encouragement to you today is think about making your one thing God's one thing. How liberating would it be, how freeing would it be if you and I woke up every day knowing I'm going to have a laser focus on knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have a laser focus on living that faith out everywhere that I go. Make your one thing God's one thing. Point number two. And this is right out of the text in verse number 13. Simply this, forgetting what is behind. I'm just quoting the scripture right there for this point. Verse 13. He says, I don't consider that I've made it out my own, but he says, one thing I do. And the next two points are really two sides of the same coin. One thing he says he does. He says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I stole this from somewhere and I can't remember off the top of my head, but I like it. We need to live with what I'm going to call, and I borrowed it from somebody, a holy amnesia. (laughs) I like that, a holy amnesia. What are you talking about? I mean that, not that we, our brains mentally are going to forget certain things that are behind but we need to live with a sanctified amnesia in such a way that I'm not going to let things that happened in the past define where God ha- what God has for me now and what God has for me in the future. When we think about forgetting what is behind, I think that could be forgetting maybe past defeats, things you regret. Here we go. Who has ever done anything they regret? I'm not going to ask you details, but you can raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I am too. I have too. Forgetting what is behind, things that we regret. We have all this technology nowadays, things that we would, we would crawl into the floor and, and just, I don't know, if, if we were to put that thing that we regret up on this screen right now. Oh, no, I'm never coming back to chapel if anybody knows that I did that. And that's not even counting the things that we think and and, and our hearts and our attitudes and those kind of things. Paul's saying to forget those past defeats. You might be here and you have those regrets. We can stay back here with those regrets or we can press on. 
but we have to forget those past regrets. Have that holy amnesia where I say, where we say, God, I know, you know, God knows what we did too, but help me to move forward from those past defeats. It might be that we're forgetting what is behind. We're forgetting those past sins, uh, those times that we know we've fallen short of, of what God has for us. Can I remind you, go back, um, if you have your Bibles open, go back to Paul who, who, who admits that he's a sinner and he talks about, talks about what he did in verse number six in Philippians three. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He, he's, Paul is very willing to admit, he says in another place, he actually calls himself the chief of sinners. But this one who calls himself the chief of sinners, this one who persecuted the church, this one who held the coats for the people who stoned Stephen to death, he says we forget what is behind and press on to what's ahead. Can, 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 I, can I encourage you today, if you're holding on to one of those past sins, if we're still committing those sins, God's calling us to repent. But if it's one of those where it's in the past and we're not continually committing that sin, but we're letting it define us, don't say something about God that's not true. Here's what God says he does for sin. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. I think I'm quoting that correct in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. I'm quoting from what? I'm quoting from God's word. So is that a true statement? <laughs> Absolutely, it's the word of God. So watch this with me. When we say, oh, no, 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 God can't forgive me of that. It's too bad. When we say, oh, no, 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 you just don't know what I've done. God can't forgive me of that. We're saying something about God that just is not true because God told us if we confess our sin, he didn't say if we confess all the sins except the really bad ones. If, you're, if you committed a really bad one, forget you, you're done. That's not what he said, is, is it? He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you may be here today and you may be holding on to that past and you may have that mentality or that attitude of heart of, oh no, God can't forgive me. I'm telling you right now, he can and he will if you confess that sin. And if you have, God, number one, he has forgiven you. And number two, he wants you to forget what is behind crank up that holy amnesia and move forward and press on with Jesus. Does that make sense? But not just past sins, what about forgetting, here's one, who? Forgetting past hurts where someone has, someone has hurt you. I could raise my hand for both. If I said, how many of us have hurt someone? I would raise my hand. How many of us have been hurt? I would raise my hand. I think a practical way to look at this forgetting what is behind is we also have to forget past hurts. Because if we don't, it's going to be very hard to press on if we're still holding on to what is behind. But Paul says, forget what is behind. Crank up the holy amnesia. Forgive those hurts and press, and, and press on. I'll use the same analogy. You may have one of those hurts, and if you say something or if I say something to the effect of, but you don't know how they hurt me, I don't. That's where the in all things concept becomes so powerful. In all things would mean no matter how they've hurt me, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of his resurrection, I can forget those hurts and I don't have to let those hurts define me for the rest of my life. Now, that might mean I'm, I'm, I'm drawing on resources around me. That might mean I'm reaching out to some people for help. It might be I'm reaching out to some of y'all. I'm, re, I'm, 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 I'm doing what I can to continue to grow in the Lord. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, I can forget those things that are behind those past hurts and I, and I can press forward. I was reminded of a story in a book. It's entitled, uh, Calm My Anxious Heart. And it's, a, it's the story about Clara Barton. If you don't know that name, she was the founder of the American Red Cross. She taught a lesson about forgiveness and she taught a lesson about forgetting what is behind that I think is powerful for us to hear today. I wanna read you an excerpt from this book. It's very short, listen to this. One day, Clara Barton was reminded of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. She acted as if she had never heard of the incident. Don't you remember it? Her friend asked. No, came Clara Barton's reply. I distinctly remember forgetting it. Here's what the writer says. She had made a conscious choice to forgive a vicious deed, a conscious choice to continue forgiving when reminded of the deed. By replying, I distinctly remember forgetting it, Clara Barton was saying, I remember choosing to forgive and I still choose to forgive. Can I ask you this question today? What do you distinctly need to forget today? What, when we say the phrase, when we read out of scripture, forgetting what is behind, is it a past sin? Is it a past hurt? Is it a past circumstance? If it is, here's my question. What is it today that you and I need to distinctly forget and then tomorrow we need to remember, oh yeah, I just remembered, I forgot that. How, how fulfilling, how much growth, how much joy could we have if we distinctly forgot those things that are behind and then pressed on. I think about movies and I think about phrases like, don't you wish you could go back? You ever, you, ever, you ever ran across things like that? Don't you wish you could go back? We will not press on if we continue to look back. And here's the thing about God that we learn all through the Bible, particularly when God was with Moses at the burning bush. I won't, won't turn there, but I want to remind you of it because it's a powerful truth about God. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and Moses said, who, who shall I tell Pharaoh sent, sent me? God gave him his name, remember? He says, tell them I am that I am sent you. That, that, that verb there, I am, is the idea of I, God will always, he's the always being one. In other words, he will always be that which he has always been. I say that because as you and I, because I believe today, I, I can only imagine that some of us right now are grappling with something that is behind. And in our minds, God's prompting you and he's prompting me to let go. But let me encourage you, God who's always been, he always will be. So forget what is behind. And then point number three is this. Press on to the prize. Press on to the upward call. Again, right out of scripture, go back and look at verse number 13. Here's what he says. He says, brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, Paul's saying, I've not arrived yet. That's, that's really all he means. He, he means I, I still have growth to take place. But then he says, what we've been talking about all morning, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then he says, I press on toward the goal. I, I, I press on toward, toward the goal. His, his situation at the time was, was imprisonment, but that didn't change the fact that he was going to press on toward the goal, the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to show you something. This is important because in this pressing on, the good news is you and I don't have to do it by ourselves. There's all these latest and greatest studies that keep coming out and, and all the science keeps showing that people need people. Go figure. We've been saying that in the Christian church for thousands of years, but it's, I'm glad everybody agrees that, that, that the more we have people in our lives who are good people and who are a blessing to us, it's going to help us be better. Look at verse 15 and 16. As we press on, we don't have to do it alone because look at what Paul says in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think, think this way. In other words, he, he's saying that this is a growth process. There's going to be people along the way that some people are still going to be back here behind. Uh, there's going to be people who want to have the one thing focus, but maybe their focus is dissipated a little bit. There's going to be people sometimes who want to press on and some are pressing on very well and some not so much. So what he's saying is this, let those who are mature uh, think this way. And then watch this. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. Paul is pointing out the fact that we're all on different parts of this journey called the Christian faith. The good news is that you and I have each other as we press on. I don't have to do it alone. It's, it's, not, it's, not, all, it's not all up to me. I remember when I served at, at Walter Reed many times um, because at, at the hospital there, uh, because it's so close to the Pentagon, um, just, just do that. Just, just think through it with me. Who, who typically needs knee replacements and surgeries and things? It's, it's soldiers who are at the end of their career. Well, the Pentagon has a lot of generals. I don't know if you know that, but they're like generals everywhere. And every so often I'd, I'd, I'd meet, I'd meet a general and they'd be recovered in their hospital room and they'd have that computer up and you know what they're doing because they've hard charged their whole life. What are they doing? Oh, they're still working. They're still, they're still running the army. And, and I, I remember distinctly one, one gentleman, super, super nice guy. He's, he's, he's working away. He's, he's you know, run, running the army from the hospital room. And I just had a little bit of holy boldness. And I was like, he doesn't know me. I'm just going to try to help him help out. I said, I said, sir, do we not have anybody else at the Pentagon that can, that can run stuff right now so you can recover from this surgery? And he's like, ah, chaplain, you sound like my wife, blah, 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 you know. Here's the thing, none of us have to do it alone. When I'm talking about pressing on, Paul is saying that we have other people that we can do that with and we can do it together. I need you and you need me. That's why it's important to, to plug into God's people at a chapel service. That's why it's important to find a Bible study, to, fi to find a place where you can connect with others. I know just yesterday, our women had a Bible study on Saturday where they can connect with one another. We're right around the corner from PWOC, Protestant Women of the Chapel. There's, there's other ministries and opportunities. We need, we need one another. We're in, in July, we're going to kick back our Tuesday night Navigators Bible studies that meets at 1830. We need those times because we need each other as we, as we press on. We're pressing on to the prize, the, the upward call. 
For some of us, we need God. Notice what he says here. We need God to help us to rise up above what it is we're dealing with. Look at what it says in verse 14. Pressing on to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. As I was looking at this passage and, and looking at different uh, things for the message, I came across a true story about a man. His name is uh, Frederick Handley Page. Some of you may know who that is. He was an English uh, industrialist. He was a pioneer in the aircraft industry, Handley Page. He was best known as the father of the heavy bomber. He also uh, was very familiar and had instrumental parts in a couple of pieces of large aircraft. He was knighted in 1942 for his contribution to the, to the war efforts to World War II. When he was a young man, he was a pilot, he landed his plane in an isolated area during his travels. What he did not know is that while he was on the ground with his plane, a rat got into the cockpit. You say, okay, it's a rat, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. He'd been, he'd, 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 he landed for a few hours, got back in his plane, get ready to fly to the next place. Well, guess what he began to hear? I'm not going to try to mimic it, but just imagine in your mind what the gnawing of wires sounds like. And he got to thinking about it, and he finally somehow recognized that sound. I don't know that I would have. I'm not that smart. But while he's in flight piloting this plane, he goes, man, that's a rat. And there's a rat gnawing my wires. Come find out, for all he knows, the rat could have been chewing a vital cable or the control of the plane. He didn't know, so, he, so he, it got his attention. He didn't know what to do at first. It was two hours from where he started from. It was a few hours from where he needed to go next. But then he remembered the rat. It's just an animal. It's a rodent. Here's what he did. It's not made for heights. So you know what he did with his plane? It went up. It went up, 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 up about 20,000 feet. Of course, it's not, a pre it's not, you know, like, it's not like your, your commercial flights now, but he's got his helmet on, he's got his oxygen, he's good. But guess what happened at about 20,000 feet? The gnawing finally stopped because the rat was dead. The rat couldn't survive the atmosphere of those heights. So about two hours later, Hanley Page brought the plane safe uh, to the landing field. And guess what he found in the cockpit? Sure enough, he found his little dead friend who was chewing on his on his wires. Now watch this. Paul says that we press on to the upward call in Christ Jesus. Some of us need to rise above the rats that are in our lives. Some of us in our pressing on, the reason we, we can't, we're, we're stuck is because we're staying down here worried about all the little stuff, all the little rats. Anybody here got anything gnawing at your life? I, I do a little bit. Press on to the upward call to win the prize. Who has called you heavenward? One translation says heavenward. Who's called you to the upward call? It's God in Jesus Christ. The, the one that we know through the power of the resurrection, the one thing that we're supposed to be focused on is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. As we do that and as we climb to the upward call, we will be able to press on. And maybe some of those rats that are gnawing won't build a gnaw and chew at your life anymore. 
Are there areas of your life where you need to focus your life solely on serving Christ? Do you need to become that one thing person? What are those things from behind that as we were looking at this passage and we went through those examples, God just brought them to your mind. What are those things from behind that you and I need to forget? Where do you and I need to press to the upward call? What rats, what stuff in your life needs to be killed? In all things, one thing, let's press on with the, through the Lord Jesus Christ and let's do it together. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I do pray that, that your people, that we would know Jesus Christ and that we would know the power of his resurrection. God, as we're about to sing, you, you are a way maker, you're a miracle worker. God, you can take any of those things in our life that easily ensnare us and you can help us to move forward. God, you can take those things from our past. You can forgive us. You can help us to have that sanctified uh, amnesia to forget about those things so that we can move forward to what you have for our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people today. I pray if there are those who are listening to this message who have never trusted Christ as Savior, they don't know Christ, which is the foundation for all of this. God, I pray they would have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would do that today. God, for your people, I pray that we would be encouraged, challenged to press on for the upward call. God, thank you for reaching out to us and for calling us. And God, may we forget those things behind. May we press on and be about that one thing, knowing Jesus Christ. God, bless your people. Bless us as we sing together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.